McNulty stunning for anyone to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to PO4 Cast episode 99. Well it's one draw and a win, but Pompey are climbing the table. Joining the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you Andy? Not too bad, thank you Hugh. Pleasure to be here. Light of the week, obviously. How are you doing mate? Yeah, I'm not too bad mate. You know, trumbling along, boring as usual in lockdown, but best part of the week is speaking to the guys listening and speaking to you. You massive cheese ball. Love that. <laughs> I'm in a cheesy mood, mate, but I'll try and drop that now as we move forward. But let's get cracking because we've got a lot to do in this episode, mate. So first of all, we're going to review the Plymouth game. Following on from that, we're going to talk about the win against Swindon at Fratton Park. Then we put a question out to you guys. We all saw the game against Swindon. We saw George Byers come on. Should that performance mean he starts against Crew? And after that, we're going to preview the Crew game. And then to finalise and finish the podcast, we've got an interview with Max from the Gascast to talk all about the game on Tuesday night against Bristol Rovers. Andy, that's a lot to get through. So let's get stuck into it. Plymouth, it's an odd one, isn't it? Is it a point gained or two points lost? I think on the balance of the match, I would say two points lost um, in that Pompey, I don't have the XG to hand. That's Freddie's domain. But watching the game, you would say that you'd have expected Pompey to win that game eight or nine times out of ten based on the chances. First half, number of set pieces we had, and I'm not just going, oh, look, we had loads of corners. But the number of set pieces we won the first header from and won that first ball from, you'd have expected one of them to go in. Obviously, at 2-0 down with five minutes left or whatever it was, you say... Yeah, I'll take a point from here. But looking at the whole match and looking at the game, yeah, as a whole, you'd well, I think it was two points lost personally because Plymouth were there for the taking. And since uh, Freddie's been sabotaged by Talk Talk, hence his absence, um, I, I got had a look at the XGs that the Freddie sent through. And looking at it, Portsmouth had three and Plymouth had one point eight. Not only that, Andy, but the first fifteen minutes of the game, and I think this is fair to say, Plymouth started off very well. They were passing the ball. Their game sort of looked like it was working. Pompey struggled a little bit to get into the game in the first 15 minutes. But as soon as they'd worked out how Plymouth were passing out, they're trying to get it wide to those wing backs. Pompey cut off the supply to those players to push forward. And suddenly they've got three players at the back defending in the 3-5-2. And Pompey have two strikers and two midfielders pushing forward on a 4-3 and bearing down on Plymouth. It looked like it was going to be a dominant result up to half-time, didn't it? We got 10 corners. Oh, yeah. I mean, let's not go about... You know what people are going to say about the corner statistic. But, yeah, I think, as you you just said, the the way that Pompey adapted their play, 
to combat against the Plymouth, the way they were playing out from the back. You, you just fancy we were going to win the game, didn't you? To be honest with you, it's. I don't want to just sit here repeating myself, but I would have would have put decent money on us winning the game at half time if I was a full betting man. But obviously, second half turned out to be quite a bit more exciting. But the last 20 minutes turned out to be quite a lot more exciting. Pompey come out in the second half. If you look at the stats again, the XG continues to climb after you have a few more chances. You'd hope Pompey would take one of those chances from the corners. There's some really good deliveries, I thought, there from Daniels in that game as well. You could tell it was dangerous. It was just one of those games for me, though, that it just never quite clicked in that sense and went in the back of the net. But on another day, Raggett's got a couple of headers. It's gone in with two nil up. Plymouth have sunk back under the constant pressure. But unfortunately, Plymouth break and get a goal, which I think, uh, I think Marquis gives it away a little bit, sells Cannon sort of short. The ball gets robbed off him, quickly played in the box. Jetcott's there, the lad that we spoke about on the preview that we needed to watch out for, and, and he just fires it home. Looks offside to me, Andy. We won't complain too much, but he looked offside, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, we've looked at it quite a few times, haven't we? And paused it on the still and done our own little VAR thing from from an angle. And it does look offside. The only player who's not in picture when we paused it is Daniels. And I don't see, from, like, from the angle Daniels then appears on the screen from, I don't see how we could be playing him onside and still get into that position in the time it does before. Uh, in the time it takes before he comes on screen. So I think at absolute best, sorry, absolute worst, um, Jeff Cott's right foot and right leg is offside, which would make it offside. I'm pretty sure it was, but it's not a howler from the linesman. But I mean, again, when he sort of scores and then turns around to look at the linesman, that's normally a bit of a, a sign that even the striker's not sure. And I think he was quite relieved the flag didn't go up. But these decisions, you know, they they go either way over the course of the season. We've had a couple go our way this season. It is what it is. And to be honest, we should have been at least one up by then anyway. Um, but yeah, it was was slightly offside. Jacobs looked pretty good in this game as well. He obviously picks up a knock, a hamstring injury. Um, he's out for, I think, two to three weeks now, according to Kenny Jacket. It was, I was quite gutted to see him to see him go off as well. He, he's been looking really good. His passing, his distribution has been really good as well. However, Pompey are 2-0 down. Jacket starts warming up some substitutions. You're like, all right, who's coming on now? And he makes a pretty bizarre change at first. He brings Harvey White on at left midfield. He puts Ronan Curtis in up front. I thought it's a bit of an odd situation. I know people criticise the substitutions. Harvey White on at left mid. Harvey White has played as a left wing, wing back before for Tottenham. You know, we spoke to Lennon on the podcast before. It's not a complete alien position, a sort of round hole in square pegs or whatever you, whatever you call that kind of thing Curtis comes up front Andy what did you think of that? Yeah I didn't understand all the criticism of the substitution to be honest with you uh, Guy Whittingham was saying what on earth is White doing coming on playing on the left but as you've just said he's he's played on the left previously left back and left midfield so it's not a position that's alien to him and Jacket obviously felt that Curtis was the more potent goal-scoring threat, which was then that you know that decision was validated a few minutes later when Curtis scored our first goal. So yeah, I don't really get what the the fuss was about about that sub. And we've seen Harness play up top alongside Marquis. We've we've seen Williams play up top alongside Marquis. What's the difference about Curtis being pushed up top to play alongside Marquis? I I don't honestly yeah I thought it was a load of fuss about nothing. 
Um, whether or not Curtis had scored, I still think that would be the case. Um, but yeah, obviously Curtis then chases down what you know could have been a lost cause, and yeah, cuts in from the right. Nice, neat little finish, and then last five minutes, bit of a rush to try and grab that equaliser, which thankfully we did. We had a couple of chances and managed to take one of them. Absolutely. Um, I spoke to Simon Collins from the Derry Journals on Twitter. I've just added him about it, and he was pointing out that you know Ronan Curtis is quite apt to playing at nine for Ireland and actually came on against England at that position as well. So we know Curtis can play there. Jackie brought him on. And you've got to say, I will criticise Kenny when he makes duff substitutions, but at the same time, bringing Ronan up front really worked at the time. He chased the goal down. Um, and also the second goal, though, that's the more important one. Let's be honest, Andy, because I knew James Bolton was going to score, hence why I had a flutter on him. So James Bolton, take a bow, son. You won me about 15 quid. Well, we said in the first half, didn't we, in our in our group chat, and there was a good game to bet on the two centre backs. Didn't know which one. I don't. Yeah, I try not to bet on football, but the number of headers Pompey were winning in the box from either dead balls or from open play, the Plymouth centre backs weren't really getting ahead on the ball. It was definitely a good bet. Congratulations on your absolutely massive windfall of fifteen quid. Don't spend it all at once, mate. Yep, that's a strong zoomed answer. Yeah, it was a, a nice ball in from Harness on the right sort of a uh, toss-up between Raggett and Bolton to get their head on the ball. Again, the fact that both of them could have won that first header over either of the Plymouth defenders around them just is a is a good example is a mic- of the game in a microcosm in terms of, you know, the Pompey being so superior in the air from those balls into the box. So, yeah, it was a nice header, nice finish. Take the point and move on. And again, it, it is two points lost if you look at the stats and look how he played, but it does show the fighting spirit to come back and get that draw. Mm. That's a, It's a massive thing for me. If we had yeah. lost that game against Plymouth and then sort of sludged into this game against Swindon we're going to talk about and everyone was negative and down about it, there'd be a different feeling around Fratton Park. And also, the table is so tight that every point, not in a Tesco's way, actually really does count. Yeah, exactly. I think you're right about the attitude going into that Swindon game. Uh, on paper, a two-all draw at home against Plymouth, you know, isn't, the best result in the world. It's not the worst result in the world, but sort of game you'd expect to be winning. But in terms of our home form at the moment, what you're looking for is, you know, individual tipping points and the home form hasn't been good enough this season. And they've got to try and take that last five minutes and use it as sort of the pivot for our home form in the season and kick on from there, which they have done against Swindon and will need to do in the weeks to come because with the home form as it is at the moment, we're not going to win automatic promotion. There's there's no way we will if we, you know, have that home form over the season. So hopefully that was a turning point. Yeah, a bit of a pivot for us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it showed because we needed to get a win at home, didn't we? We desperately needed a win at home. We come out against Swindon. They're not one of the most talented teams in the league. The system hasn't really been working for them at the moment. I'm going to blame that all on Brett Pittman. For all you Pittman lovers out there, Avit, he was rubbish up front. I mean, he didn't get the he didn't really get the uh, the service, did he? But we'll come on to that. Well, Pompey came coming to a game against Swindon, needing a win. It wasn't a glamorous win, was it, Andy? It's not one for the times. It's not one we're going to watch back and you know savor the highlights on. But it was a win, nonetheless. Exactly, it was attritional. Um, I think it's it's a game you'd expect us to win on paper, absolutely. But then Swindon are a team who have you know, taken points off Charlton at the Valley. They beat Ips- uh, Ipswich Town away from home at Portman Road. They have got a result 
in them. Um, so it's it's a banana skin or it's a potential banana skin. So you're right. It's the sort of team we should be beating, uh, especially if we have those promotion aspirations, but you've still got, got to go out on the pitch and do it, particularly with our home form as it has been over the season so far. Um, and as you say, it wasn't glamorous. It was a functional performance that did what we needed to do. Pompey negated Swindon's attacking threat. I'm not sure how they've been utilising Pittman this season, but they seem to be doing exactly the same thing that Pompey were doing when Pittman wasn't scoring because the system didn't work and making him look isolated and he barely got a touch on the ball. I don't think well, I don't think uh, they had a shot on target all game that I can remember. I can't remember Gillibray making a save. Then if you no, can, they had a couple of things with blazed over the bar and a few bits that weren't too. Yeah, far they, they off. hit the they hit that. the post once, didn't they? With a shot from outside the area, that I don't know if that counts as on target. I'm guessing not if it hits the post, but that was the only time they really looked dangerous. Um, other than Pompey having to put in a couple of blocks in, so yeah, it was a functional win. Nice to see Curtis scoring again. Daniels again showing how good his delivery is, um, both from dead ball and from open play. Yeah, I think the only concern we have coming out of this is form of the front two. Uh, our starting front two. Nothing's ever going to be completely perfect. Not everyone is going to be firing at once. And at the moment, we've got different goal scorers and we scored four in the last two games. So as we've said previously on the podcast, if if those goals are being scored by other people, it just takes pressure off Marquis and Harrison while they are going through a slightly lean spell. Although obviously, Harrison did score from the spot in the Swindon game. Exactly. And they said on the commentary, didn't they? Marcus must have been absolutely gutted to see a penalty just after being subbed off and Harrison gets the penalty. He, he sends the keeper the wrong way. He blazes it in. 2-0. Game over. Before that, though, Ronan Curtis gets a goal on eight minutes. That's what you want to see from a player. He's come back into the side. Two goals in two games. We know Ronan can be a little bit streaky. And when he's on fire, he can be a game changer. He can be a match winner the sort of player that we need to get us promoted. When he's not playing as well, you know, he struggles a little bit, as all attacking players do. Curtis back in form. That's got to be one of the big things we take from this game, isn't it, Andy? Yeah, I think so. The early goal is what you want to settle the nerves in one of those potential banana skin games, as I've just said. Uh, and yeah, sort of looking dangerous throughout the game. Got his mojo back, which is what you want to see. Um Again, it sort of follows a similar pattern to last year where he had a few a few games out of the first 11, comes back in needing to prove a point, and that's just his personality type, isn't it? When he's got a point to prove, he's at his most dangerous, I think. When his confidence starts getting up, he's at his most dangerous. Um, and yeah, just a dangerous all game, which is, to be honest, what we need with Jacobs out for a few weeks. We've talked about before the depth in the squad we're going to need with this many games coming up. We were always going to pick up injuries in the in February because there are so many games back to back we should need players who ne- weren't necessarily starting the, at the start of the month to hit the ground running and be informed when they are starting and that is now going to be what we need from Ronan Curtis and the signs are good so far yeah also world's most optimistic offside appeal from Swindon uh, from that first goal uh, as Daniels delivers the ball Curtis is about four yards onside and I think actually halfway through pushing one of the defenders who then appeals for offside, even though he was actually playing Curtis on when the ball came in. So very optimistic. You know, desperate times in Swindon. Not not really anything going well for them at the moment. I know the owner said they're strapped for cash as well. He said that, uh, you know, he's struggling to pay bills after he spent a lot of money to get them promoted from League Two. So 
Um, heart go out to Pompey B, aka Swindon. Um, <laughs> all right, mate. Let's talk about let's talk about the end of this game because George Bias comes on in this game. Looked very good to me. We spoke about him before on the podcast. He's a player who came on and his vision made a difference, didn't it? I remember him playing this one pass that just sort of, he picked it up in the middle and he played Williams in and just completely broke open Swindon. Unfortunately, Williams' touch didn't really work out too well on this one, but the pass was superb, wasn't it? And what did you think of Byers all round? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a big ask to ask someone to come in and hit the ground running after, you know, not playing in a in a match environment with, with the other players on the side, but... He came in and, as you say, you could tell the vision straight away. I think it was fairly clear that he is a championship-level player. Some of those little touches and being that split second faster than the Swindon players who were around him and having that, again, split second faster vision to pick out a ball. And it all comes down to tenths of a second at this level, doesn't it? And if you're three, four tenths of a second faster than the players around you in terms of your thought process and in terms of the actual delivery of the skill, then going to set you out pretty obviously and yeah as you say came on looked the part had a bit of an impact on the game in a fairly low pressure environment as league one games are going to come so it's probably quite a nice easing into to league one football for him um again we need to remember that he is coming back from injury so there's the potential that it's going to take a couple of games a few games to really get up to speed that's completely normal but i mean we're about to talk about whether or not he should be slipping into the starting eleven immediately. Um, but again, it's it's all about options, isn't it? As we come towards the end of the season, and we've got this complete backlog of games, all about having more than more than one option that we can go to, depending on the game situation. And he seems to fit that mould quite nicely. Yeah, he does, and I think he looks like a player who got on the ball. So I put this out to you guys here, and I said George Byers came on in Pompey's two 0 win versus Swindon, and he showed the quality with his passing and his movement. Do you think Bayer should start versus Crew, And if so, in place of who? So I put it out there first as a question. I mean, I'm pretty blown away by the amount of responses back. So what we're going to have to do is read out as many as we can in the time. Because otherwise we're going to be here all week. Because so many of you got in touch and I really appreciate it. So I'm going to try and skip over ones if they're you know, the same sort of mark. But let's talk about the poll. 373 votes. I said buyers to start versus crew. Seventy-nine percent of you said yes. Nine percent said no, and twelve of you, twelve percent of you are unsure. Understand? Twelve percent of you, you're not going to be football managers, so give up on the dream. Uh, let's get into it, Andy. We already spoke about what we think, but the Pompey tweeter AB messages in. Cheers, mate. He says, "I could see him playing behind the striker. I'll give it'll give him the freedom to create." Now, Andy, I've seen a few people putting lineups on here. Um, shout out Gav, who messaged in as well. Um, and he said that he wanted to see a 4-4-2, but with Byers maybe just off Marquis. So it's all of a 4-4-1-1. It's almost the same sort of formation, really, that we're looking at with the Williams up front or the Harness up front, isn't it? So we're just sort of putting Byers into that little number 10 slash second striker role up front. Yeah, it's like he's a fairly eclectic player. He can fill in in a few positions around that midfield. Uh, so... I remember who it was, one of the Swansea guys that we have spoken to in the past uh, replied saying that although he's probably not a championship level player in that position sitting behind the striker, he's confident that he could do a job there in League One. Whether or not you want to be doing that when, you know, we want to be ideally be playing players in their 
um, preferred position. I don't have a problem with it because that was a similar system to what Marquis played uh, at Doncaster, correct me if I'm wrong, where he was sort of playing in front of a creative player in that sort of number 10 role. So I think, was it Coppinger? I'm sure mm. I saw this on Twitter. Sorry to whoever's tweet I've just completely jumped on. Um, my bad. I don't know if you've got it in the mentions there, Hugh. I've got it here, mate. Let me read who, it who, whose information have I stolen? Um, talking about the Swansea lad here? No, no. Talking about, um, I can't remember who it was. One said that it's what Marquis had done at Donny uh, with potentially Coppinger playing behind him. So yeah, yeah. sorry Donny for whoever I've a, just taken that information Donny, Donny played like a 4-2-3-1, didn't they, really? But an advanced one where the, the attacking midfielder played up just behind him and played three yeah. balls. Coppinger yeah. played either yeah. left, right or centre. But Coppinger was there to play the little three balls, to be the little magician, to play to set Marquis up along the ground. And I think Byers can do that for sure. I mean, to talk to what Ben said about him, our Swansea guy, he said, I think Byers at 10 in the championship doesn't work. However, in League One, for a team game for promotion, I think he'll thrive in that advanced role. No reason he can't play deeper either, though. He's a mid-level championship player. He'll do well wherever you play him. Now, it's worth pointing that out, because you you look at someone like Michael Jacobs, for instance, who actually struggles at championship level, but still looks a class apart in a free role a little bit more at Pompey with his passing, etc. Baez is an established championship midfielder who could play further forward. Yeah, but if you've got a championship-level player who has the potential to be an X-factor player in League One, play him in position and let him be the X-factor from that position. Don't try and force the narrative by potentially losing a, even 10% of that X-factor by playing him out of position. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I'm happy either way, but I think if you've got an X-factor player, use him in his X-factor position. I mean, he got 10 goals, 10 assists, playing 10 for Swansea under-23s. And, you know, as as they said before, on the sorry, as Ben said on the podcast before, that was with a load of star players who've all gone to the Premier League with 15 million here, 10 million yeah. there. Byers played 10. He anchored them at their team at that position as a playmaker. I'm happy for him to play in centre-attacking midfield or off the striker. I thought he came on and did a very good job against it, against Swindon. Whether you say he was playing in the middle or off the striker, he seemed to be playing further forward in the middle to me. I'd like to see it happen, personally. Henry Adams messaged in. He says, get him in behind Marquis. Marquis' best goal-scoring form at Doncaster came when he had Coppinger, a ball player, in behind him. Byers could be the missing link that gives us some fluency in open play. Shame there to lose go. Williams' energy, but rather have the consistency in the end product. There you go, Andy. There we go. It was Henry I Henry, the information Henry, from. Henry's been on the pod as well. He's a lad. Yeah, much appreciated, Henry. Sorry for stealing your tweet without giving you credit there. My bad. <laughs> Not intentional. Yeah, no, cool. We agree. Daz messaged in and he says, play him at in 10 behind Marquis with a killer last pass. He can play. It will give Marquis the opportunities he feeds off. Again, agreeing with Henry. Martin Daniels messages in. Cheers. And he says, Byers in behind Marquis. He needs to be fed the right chances on the floor. Byers always will help midfield shape versus a crew team who like possession. That's a fair point, Andy. We'll come on to how crew play and whether buyers can affect that. But again, Jackie's jacket always messes in. He says definitely start at 10 as well. I think everyone here is on a similar level, Andy, that they're thinking of buyers in at 10. I just want to say, though, it's not going to be a 4 4 2 with buyers there, even less so than someone like Harness playing up front with John Marquis. Are you happy to change the shape to basically a 4 4 1 1? And are we changing the shape really? Or has it always been a 4 4 1 1? 
That's a big question. I think it's more likely to be a 4-4-1-1 if we have one of the traditional midfield players in that position. So a someone like a William or someone like Byers, it's more likely to be 4-4-1-1 than if we have, say, Harrison and Marquis or Hewula and Marquis or any two of those three. I don't have an issue with us mixing it up. because One of the things that Jacket has demonstrated to his credit is that He's got that malleability now, right? He's got a bit more fluidity. He's not afraid of mixing it up in terms of a week-by-week basis or within a game basis in terms of who's playing in what position and in terms of the formation they're lining up in. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see it at some point, at least in the next couple of games. I don't think it's going to be a consistent theme that we go with for the full 90 over the next few games. But I, I wouldn't mind seeing it because, as you say, the only reason that it hasn't worked in the past playing with Marquis as a lone striker because when we've played that formation, it's tended to be that long ball. Marquis gets it facing away from goal, and then we have players sort of overlapping on the wide wide positions, which has worked to a certain extent in the past when we had people like Jamal Lowe and then obviously Ronan Curtis on the left overlapping. But with Marquis playing there, it doesn't have the same. You know, it, we've said this so many times; it doesn't play to his strengths. So if we're playing that 4-4-1-1 formation and the ball is mostly coming up on the floor, I quite like it. If we're playing that 4-1-4, uh, sorry, 4-4-1-1 with Byers in and still hoofing the long ball up to Marquis, then it's not going to play to Marquis's sort of key attributes. It's not going to play to Byers' key attributes. And I don't think it's going to work. But I'd, I'd be surprised if we saw that. And I'm giving you know benefit of the doubt, lots of optimism, but... Spot on, Andy Mitchmore. Can't agree more with more than that. I think it's all about how we play, not the numbers and which how he set up. Along the floor, get the ball into Byers' feet and let him have players around him. Let him play a through ball to Harness on one side or Williams or Curtis making runs off him. Play through someone who's that good a playmaker. They have the ability to create something from nothing and set Marcus up properly, not just laying the ball into him. Couldn't agree more. Let's have a quick look at what someone else says. Um, Smithy messages in. He said, I would. Naylor and Cannon can't last all season. We need to rest them. There's a few people here, Andy, that think about bringing him in for Cannon. Cannon did look absolutely shattered when he came off the other day. I mean, it was freezing cold and he might just be like, fuck this, the game's over. We're 2-0 up. It's freezing. I'm coming off now. I've been running around like a madman all game. He did give the ball away a few times in possession. I thought he looked a little bit off, but you know what? Everyone needs a rest. How important is squad rotation going to be? And does Andy Cannon need a break? Um, I think squad rotation is going to be important. I think he looked tired when he came off because he put a huge shift in. The The number of times he was, you know, absolutely pegging it back, tracking back. So, I mean, I'd say the same for Naylor recently. Well, even when we've conceded, I mean, for that, was it was it the second goal where against Plymouth where we had the penalty appeal that would have been a harsh penalty to be fair uh, from Daniels and then as Plymouth broke and Raggett sort of drops into that left back position to cover Daniels which he's done really really well I think that needs to be commented on as well the fact that Raggett has sort of covered left back extremely well where the left back's forward and then Naylor is absolutely bombing it back to cover Raggett in centre defence obviously when we conceded the second goal it didn't quite work but they're both putting box box shifts in both him and Cannon they're going to be knackered that's the way we play the game in terms of them filling into the defensive positions when any of the back four are out of position because we've been caught on the break 
So for that reason, I've yeah, I've got no issue with them either of them needing a break. I don't think for me it's performance based at the moment. I don't think either of them deserves to be dropped to use sort of the word to describe what it would actually be. Um, but having said that, I wouldn't have a problem if buyers came in for a game or yeah, if just give Cannon, you know, 90 minutes out because one of his bigger strengths is that explosive pace. And yeah, I mean, eight games in 26 days, anyone is going to lose a little bit of explosive pace, putting that much, you know, that many miles in their legs. So I've got no problem with it, but I don't think it should be enforced because I don't think either of them have been even close to poor enough to deserve just being replaced in the lineup for any reason other than a little bit of a, you know, rotation to save the injury risk. Harry Naylor messages in. He says, jacket for England. Is that because he just doesn't want him managing Pompey anymore? <laughs> as, a, as a Wales fan, I'm I'm more than okay with like, yeah, why not? <laughs> I don't know where he's from. I'm not going to bother looking it up. Matt Diffie messages in. He says, I say, yeah, but can't really drop Cannon after the way he's been playing. Matt, there are other options. We don't have to drop Cannon. Michael Clifton messages in. Definitely, with Harness being so frustrating. I thought Harness played well in the last game. Yeah. I don't know. I th- I wouldn't pick out Harness to some- someone to critique at the moment. I think everyone's frustrating at times. Like again, they're all excellent footballers, but they're League One footballers. There are going to be frustrating moments, and if they there weren't frustrating moments, they'd be Championship or Premier League footballers. Like meaning no disrespect in the world. Um, yeah. We're going to have frustrating moments from all of them. And if you look at the goals we've scored over previous weeks, Harness has been involved in a lot of them. I mean. Look, I know why it's frustrating, Andy. I'm going to come in as an avid Marcus Harness defender here. Players who take more risks end up sometimes giving the ball away. That is true. Some play, people who watch football go, oh, Marcus Harness giving the ball away. No offence here, Matt. And the fact <laughs> is, yeah. <laughs> Mate, we're f- back to you slagging off the listeners. I love it. <laughs> and the fact is, really, is that players who are going to create something for nothing, create a pass, have a shot that goes in from nowhere... You know, think about even us in the playoffs against Oxford. Awful. Marcus Harness has a chance and scores from outside the box. This is the kind of thing that happens when you take risks. Nothing great is ever achieved in life, mate, unless you take a risk. Exactly. It's very easy to sit there playing that comfortable ball back to the back four from that sort of defense, centre defensive midfield role. You've got 100% pass completion and you've contributed nothing to the game. So absolutely agree. No, Nothing wrong with taking a risk and that could be why it frustrates people. You know, it takes players on goes for the more difficult ball that one time out of 10 is going to split a defence open, nine times out of 10 gets intercepted. But on the one time it splits the defence open, it's, you know, every two games that results in a goal. So, yeah. Exactly. We're not going to play on a team of Richard Hughes's back and forth, the hairdresser Hughes. Anyway, <laughs> Jack Chapman messaged in. Thanks again, Jack. He says, replace Williams with Byers. Move Harness up front. Williams is offering nothing at the moment. Give George a chance to show what he has. Not sure buyers can play wide, so that would involve a three-man midfield. I think that's harsh on Williams as well. I think saying Williams is offering nothing is very harsh. He won the penalty on against um, Plymouth. No, Swindon. Sorry, he won the penalty against Swindon. Um, I think that's. I think he's actually contributing more end product than he was maybe ten, twelve games ago. That's my opinion. Yeah, I do think he's maybe a little bit less on form, but again, this is just he had a real great patch and stuff as well, but. I'm not against Harness going up front, as we said already, but I think you'd have to put it into a 4-3-3 to make that work, really. And 
I'm reluctant to change the system to play that right now. Although I know it's been mentioned by some people. Kevin Abbott messages in, thank you. And he says, in place of harness as he needs a rest, not really come to the party since the Burton match, in my opinion, from watching all the games. Kevin, respectfully, I disagree with that. We've already talked about it. Peter Thurgood messages in. He says, it's very difficult because Cannons has cemented his place in the centre of Naylor. But like you all said on the podcast last week, Baez is a quality player and he'd be a great asset. I think what we need to think about is promotion. Kenny is very ruthless and right now he needs to be more than ever. We have a deep squad with a great quality and what seems a happy camp. I'll be happy to see us in a 4-4-1-1 or a 4-5-1 with Baez sitting behind Marcus to assist and reveling and reliving Naylor and Cannon to sit back tight with his defence and push with, push up on the counter. Although... Naylor does seem to be clinical with his attacking, something of which they can all work together to create something new. A very exciting issue to have in the squad. That's a fair point, isn't it? This is this is a situation where it's not like we've got a bunch of donkeys playing for us. We've added some quality in the middle here. Cannon's looking great. Naylor's looking great. This is a good problem to have. Yeah, how good is this as an issue to have? We've got too many good level players that we can play in centre midfield. How much... Do Bristol Rovers wish they could say that at the moment, or other teams in the division? It's a very good issue to a uh, very good issue to have. I think I agree with you know it's time for Jacket to continue being ruthless in his decisions, but I think it's important that he's ruthless and maintains positive relationships because as we've covered in the past, there are players who have left the club after being dropped and feeling isolated who have then said that they didn't feel like they were treated too well. It's a difficult balance that we need Kenny Jacket to balance well in terms of rotating players in that position or in all positions to be fair but also you know not losing that personal relationship or how however you want to describe it from management terms that sort of morale in the squad so at the moment we've got a really nice balance the real test is keeping that balance and that positive vibe in the squad once you start rotating people in and out of the team as I think he's going to need to do and that is difficult in any management role I've just read through the rest of the comments. A lot of people still want to get rid of Harness and put him in, which seems bonkers to me. We've discussed that already. And the other people are saying that uh, strikers, apparently, apparently can't hit a barn door. So I'm going to skip past these and move on to the next point, which is... Crew. Right, we had the guys from the Railway podcast on before to talk about Crew. Um, I think that was in December. I've yes, not looked was, at the yeah. fixture list. Andy went on the Railway One podcast to talk from our perspective to them. So we didn't want to drown you in contempt between the two of us. So me and Andy are going to take this one. But if you do want to hear PO forecast perspective, go and look at the Realme One podcast. And Andy was on that as well. So check that out, guys. But Crew, right, Crew had what I'm going to call a little bit of a difficult transfer window. They lost Perry and G. They're right back and captain. So they lost him in, the, in, in January. And they also sort of lost Harry Pickering, the left back who's been absolutely outstanding for them this season. Blackburn have bought him, but they've loaned him back out to crew. It was a deadline day move. I think that was great. I know Blackburn had paid some of the money. It was undisclosed, but they paid it up front. Sheffield Wednesday, those cheap bastards tried to pay them over sort of like a 10-year payment plan or something. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, so that got thrown out the window and Blackburn ended up coming in and, and pipping him. That's a that's a big boost for them. I know we're speaking to the guys before and Harry Pickering's a major player for them, Andy. I'm going to turn it over to you because you've been talking about crew with the crew guys. So Andy, let us know. Yeah, I mean, as you say, Harry Pickering is that sort of that X-factor player that um, they would cite as the, the person who's likely to sort of break the game open. 
Um, I was surprised how not confident um, Stuart was on the Railway Men podcast when I spoke to him a few days ago. Um, they don't really seem to think they're going to get anything out of this result, uh, out of this, uh, out of this fixture. Sounds like they they lost two 0 to Peterborough uh, last weekend, and it sounds like they just didn't lay a glove on Peterborough, and it could have been more. But Peterborough went into game management mode, and yeah, they don't sound like they're really expecting anything from the game at all. So again, the scene is set perfectly for a, a nice, pleasant surprise for the crew, Alexander. A lot Harry Pickering, I think, is going to be dangerous coming down the left. I felt like we got caught out, particularly in the first half against Plymouth, with players getting in behind in that right back position sort of with Callum Johnson getting sort of outnumbered two on one and then Plymouth I think it was Hardy on the left for Plymouth getting getting in behind on their left and I'd be slightly concerned that the same could happen with Pickering because he is at that that sort of that dangerous player having said that if you look at the league table and if you look at Crew's recent results you'd say that you'd back Pompey on paper. I mean, they got a decent result away against Shrewsbury, who have obviously, you know, picked up some big points recently against teams near the top of the table. But, you know, they drew with 10-man Ipswich. They've lost to Peterborough convincingly. They've lost convincingly to Gillingham. Um, only just sneaked to or snuck a win against Bristol Rovers 3-2. And again, drew with Rochdale. So the results don't set the world alight. And again, we, we say this so often, but if we're looking at going up, it's a game we've got to be winning. They're 10th in the table, but they have played more games, four or five teams below them at least. I think they might have played the most games of anyone in their division. I'm just pulling it up now. Other than Swindon, who have also played 28, they have played the most games out of anyone in the league. So if a couple of the teams below them win their game in hand, then Crew are slipping into the bottom half. I spoke to, as I say, Stuart said that he thinks their season is basically over already, not in a negative way, but he said they're not going to go up. Odds are they're not likely to go down. And it sounds like they've all resigned themselves to just mid-season obscurity just over halfway through the season, which, again, maybe is less of an issue now than it would be later in the season. But you'd hope that maybe just 5% of that apathy would sink into their play on the pitch. But I think it's a game I'd expect Pompey to win. And last time we played them, I was expecting a big challenge. And I was so underwhelmed by what we came up against. in that I think it was the end of November, that 4-1 game just yeah really underwhelmed so I'm hoping they'll be similar this time out yeah and crew try and pass the ball out nicely from the back play a fairly similar system to Plymouth really in a style and how they play as well so learn some lessons from the game against Plymouth and hopefully we'll create that many chances and more of them will go in the back of the net this podcast is a proud member of the fan hub 100 Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with FanHub to put fans first. Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey. All right, I'm here with Max from the Gascast. And Max, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, nice one. Big news, because we're talking to you on Wednesday. It's quarter to 9pm and Tisdale's gone. Yeah, not exactly how I, I pictured this evening being, if I'm honest. Um, just uh, just recorded uh, for our own podcast and um, jumping straight on with you guys. So, yeah, there's uh, certainly lots to discuss and uh, I've not had very long to uh, form my own opinion on it, if I'm honest. It's uh, it's all very raw. What was, I'm assuming you saw this on Twitter first, what was your visceral gut reaction in terms of seeing that uh, Tearsdale had left the club? Relief, if I'm honest. Um 
I think, you know, he's been here since November and since the day he's come in, we haven't improved in any area. Um, you know, for a manager who looks at a job and thinks I, I can come in and improve this team and get this team to where it needs to be. Um, he hasn't done that. Um, formations changing every other week, lineups changing every other week, complaining about um, not having good enough players. And yet he had a whole transfer window to fix it and did nothing. So, yeah, he's just, uh, he was a very confusing appointment. I thought on paper it looked good, but um, it hasn't worked out. And I was relieved to see him go in the end because the longer it went on, the more it became apparent that he, he wasn't the right man for us. Um, and in fact, he has steered us closer towards the relegation zone. Yeah, no, I thought I thought on paper it was a good appointment too, to be honest, Max. Obviously hasn't worked out. I'm looking at your formations as well. When you when you go through the list of formations that you've played this season as well, it's quite outstanding, isn't it? I was trying to have a quick look at it so we could preview the game against you. And I wasn't really sure what sort of system you play. I mean, is it a 3-4-3, a 3-5-2? It looks a little bit all over the shot. But is it the manager's fault, Max, of like that devil's advocate? Did the board back him? Um... I do not know if the board backed him, but the board have always backed managers at this club. Daryl Clark was backed since the Alcardis came into the club in 2015. Graham Coughlin, when he took over from Daryl Clark again, he had um, a couple of good windows, signed the players he wanted to sign. Johnson Clark Harris, obviously the main one. And then Graham, uh, and then Ben Garner, sorry, he was given pretty much a clean slate this summer. We had a lot of experienced pros out of contract and we decided to let them go, pretty much give ourselves a, a generous wage budget that became available from those players leaving. And uh, Ben Garner was given free reign to sign pretty much whichever players he wanted. I think we do have a fair bit of money left in in the kitty from the Clark Harris sale to Peterborough, which we're getting an instalment. And I think with goal bonuses as well, he's on 17 goals currently. I think we'll be getting some more money for that as well once he hits 20. So um, I don't buy that he didn't have the opportunity to bring players in. He was chasing a striker for the most of the window. Jaden Stockley was his number one target, but he opted to join Charlton. So you can't say that the money wasn't there to sign a striker. It was just the case that maybe he chased players who were a bit beyond uh, what was realistic for us. Stockley, who scored against us for Charlton last week, actually. <laughs> I was um, thinking when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> I saw on Twitter someone had said that they thought maybe he'd gone as partly as a result because he'd called out the club a little bit for having poor transfer activity and the owners hadn't liked that. Do you think there's any truth to that or is that just a sort of a 2020 hindsight rumour? I think it's probably behind the scenes discussions with, with the manager and I don't think it was he was sacked as a result of any interview. Listening back to that interview with him, it certainly seems quite flippant, some of his comments about the club. And, you know, I think he did have money to, to sign players. I just don't think the targets he wanted were realistic for the club. And as a result, we missed out on maybe some good options who were available maybe before we went after Stockley. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if it was the interview that got him sacked. It's probably more likely the terrible form we're in, um, his his results are worse than Ben Garner's, which for me is is really saying something. And awful, ultimately, yeah. you know, he, he, I think the way he conducts himself, he, he when things aren't going well, he's quite irritating, um, and he says the wrong things. And you know, he said last night, "I'm not a magician," um, which implies that he's saying it would take uh, magic to get this team to to win games. And if he's saying that, then he's effectively saying he can't do the job he's been hired to do. Um, so there's the end of his story, to be honest. Ten games without a win here, I'm looking at Max, in all competitions. Two of those are draws against Peterborough, decent result, and Fleetwood. 
you know, fairly outright result as well. It looks like you're pretty good at shipping goals and not great at scoring them. When, when you're facing Pompey, just kind of look, focus a little bit on the game here. What should we be looking out for in a team? What would you say is Bristol's strength? Let's get some positivity going here for you, mate. What is the strength in this side? Oh, we have a couple of good individuals. Sam Nicholson is far too good for this level. He struggled with um, being played in, you know, he, he's, he's a winger. He's being played in a number 10 role, either as a second striker or in the hole. Not quite his natural position, but you can see the flair he possesses. And most good things we do have been through him. Oz Tuma, we've got on loan from Charlton, another bright spark. So we have got some players who can do something out of nothing. Other than that, not a lot. You know, we're we're lingering outside the relegation zone and you're not there if you haven't got, you know, a strength to build your side around. I can't point to any one thing in our squad and say, build a side around this. You know, we don't have a spine. We don't have a solid spine at all. Um, none of our centre-backs this season have been at all convincing. Our midfield lacks any kind of experience. And up front, we've got Brandon Hanlon, who's playing his first season as a centre-forward after coming in from Gillingham, where he played on wing. So the spine of the side is pretty weak and bar a couple of good individuals who can on their day score goals, there's no real consistency to it. So you said Sam Nicholson there was a a standout player. Why was it he didn't start in your last game against Oxford? He was, he was on the bench and came on, right? Was that purely for formation reasons then or? Um, I think every time he's been fit, he started. This is the first time I think he's dropped to the bench either tactically or, fitness maybe i'm not sure what the manager's thinking is um tisdale was kind of it felt like a little bit of um a last hurrah for him so not really sure why nicholson dropped to the bench a few of us think you know he's our best player why is he not playing in a game where we need to try and win so yeah i think you know if if he's fit for the pompey game he should start yeah it seems like maybe maybe he had an argument with the manager falling out i couldn't answer noticed um, when I was looking at you guys, uh, I thought it was an odd signing when you got him. You got Baldwin in from Sunderland, um, obviously battling them in the playoffs and quite a few games against them in past seasons. I thought he was pretty, a bit of a weak link, to be honest. And I also thought that he needed to go somewhere with a lot less spotlight. He got hammered by Sunderland fans and it was a little bit unfairly hammered, I think, for any sort of player, just as a person. But we all know how passionate football can be. Going to Bristol is not really a, a car market, is it, for a centre-back to go to in this situation? So how was Baldwin fitted in at the back there? Well, in the summer, we signed Max Aimer and Jack Baldwin. Um, there was an emphasis on wanting centre-backs who could play out from the back. And we signed Kean Harries in the January before there as well. And he was known at Swansea under-23s for being a good passer of the ball. Baldwin has a good reputation for having quite a good cross-field switch. Um, And I think Ben Garner wanted to build a side with a back three who were very comfortable on the ball, very quick on the ball. And and we could kind of build all of our our attacks from there by having a high line who can uh, spread good, good switches out wide to the wing backs and, and, you know, kind of of keep playing moving quickly as it happened. um, That's no good. If, if you're under intense pressure and these players cannot handle being pressed by a midfield or, or by forwards. And it doesn't seem like it worked for Ben Garner and these players these centre-backs couldn't really do what he wanted to do. Paul Tisdale then came in, tried a back two, tried a back three. Um, he couldn't settle on either. Um, you know, This is why we've been chopping and changing with formation. He wasn't sure which worked best. And Jack Baldwin, I would actually probably say he's probably been our best centre-back of the lot this season, um, which 
is saying a lot considering he's not been great. Max Aim has been a huge, huge disappointment signing from Gillingham. I thought he was going to be an absolute rock and he's been a real, real weak, weak link for us considering he's our captain as well. Been a, just a really disappointing pickup. Kilgore, our young, our young player coming through the youth team, he's been okay, but I think he's suffered since Tony Craig left the club. But Baldwin, I think he's he's when he's needed to, he's he's performed. He just does he does have a mistake in him, and and that does that is what worries me about him. Would you say then that the the back line still struggles with it coming up against the high press? Because that's something you're definitely going to see from Pompey is a high press on your defensive players. Is that is that a bit of a concern then? Yeah, for sure. Um, we we shipped six goals against Accrington a few weeks ago, and they pressed us. Uh, very, very high. So I would say it is a concern for sure. We played Oxford last night. They didn't press so much. We we handled it a bit better. Fleetwood as well. The intensity of that game was pretty low from their perspective. Any team who can press effectively for 90 minutes, um, unless you're incredibly good at dealing with that and, and playing in triangles to work your way out of it, your team's going to struggle. And Rovers right down there at the minute will struggle against being pressed for sure. If Pompey can do it for 90 minutes, then um, you know you should have a good opportunity at getting at us. I'm positive, Mac. <laughs> I'm going to ask the... <laughs> no, you go, please do. No, I was just going to say, I, I'm not sure what else I can say. My, <laughs> my, team is, my team is one of the worst, well, the fifth worst in the league and uh, down there for good reason. So um, I don't have a lot of positives to say at the minute. In which case, while we're there, I'll ask the flip side of Hugh's question. He asked, what do Pompey need to be worried about? What's your strong point? And you managed to formulate an answer in some respects. Um, what would you say the sort of the Achilles heel is of this Bristol Rovers lineup? I would say our set-piece defending. I think, I can't, I can't the stats have probably changed for now. Um, the last couple of games have been pretty solid from set pieces. But before then, I think we went on a run of conceding a set piece in five, six consecutive games. Rochdale scored one of the easiest corner routines I've ever seen. Just um, corner to the near post, man unmarked at the near post, flicked on header, man at the far post, unmarked, taps it in. It's it's schoolboy basics and we've struggled with it all season. I don't know what we do in training. We Surely we should be def- practicing training on defending set pieces, but it's a real, real problem area for us and it, it really kills any momentum we're trying to build from open play. I think, yeah. I mean, if you're conceding a lot to Rochdale, then you're in a bit of trouble. Uh, it sounds to me like Pompey fans should be putting their money this week on Raggett and Bolton yes, or Raggett and Watmore yeah. or whoever are starting. Cent- as soon as that start that starting 11 comes out, get the money on those two centre-backs who are uh, be anytime goal scorers. I mean, Raggett's got four this season or five of you speak to him at the back there. James Bolton scored <laughs> again against one. <laughs> well, yeah, he thinks that one was his the other day, doesn't he? Come on, mm. give, it, give it to you, mate. Give it, give it to Bolton. But yeah, no... Pompey are pretty good at scoring from from set plays as far as teams go. We'll press you high up the pitch as long as they're not slacking. I think from our perspective, this is a, a game that we match up very well against you. Um, it sounds that way, yeah, for sure. So, announce know, Rovers 3-0 win. So that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. <laughs> this is how football goes, I'm afraid. Yeah, um, I know. Yeah. Who are you bringing in, do you know? Any idea what kind of manager you want at least? Oh, it's been it's only been a few hours. Um, I've had a look at the bookies' suggestions. Um, it's a bit of a weird one because we've had two managers this season and sacked two managers. Who's going to want to come in right now and, and take over Bristol Rovers in this league position? It's a very difficult question, and, and it's one that I'd be surprised many of the big names wanting to take on. We've got Tommy Widrington, who's our caretaker manager. He's the director of football at the club, taking over temporarily. If he does a good job for five or six games, I can see the club saying, "Okay, 
we're happy with this direction. Let's try and keep this to the end of the season. And then if we stay up in the summer, we'll look at who's available and who, who would who would be interested in, in Bristol Rovers having a clean slate and knowing what division they're in. But when we're this close to the relegation zone, I think realistically your options are the likes of someone who could come in and maybe try and keep you up. I'm not too sure who that would be in this division. The likes of maybe Sol Campbell or Phil Parkinson could be interested in that, um, but they would probably ask for lengthy deals. That's the caveat of, of going for something like that. So I think it's probably safer to um, look in-house. You know, I think Paul Tisdale very much had his own ideas and, and had a big ego. And I think that maybe rubbed some people up the wrong way. If we can get some good traditionalist coaches from in-house to say, look, let's just sort go back to basics and try and sort this out. If we can stay up, then we can kind of look at it again from the summer. And I, I would prefer to appoint a manager then than rush into one now and it be the wrong man, which was the case with Paul Tisdale. That's exactly what we did. And it ended badly. That's, that's Tommy Widrington, who is ex-Southampton player, Tommy Widrington. And I think father of Theo, who played in Pompey's youth setup for a while a couple of years ago so there's, there's a Pompey link there and a Southampton link so even more motivation for us to get the three that's points that's why you're here Andy that's why you're here <laughs> that sort of knowledge <laughs> cheers mate no okay. on truth bomb per season no I like it no it, so- it sounds like it's going to be an interesting game purely on the basis of new manager you never know what's happened maybe they all hated Tisdale maybe they all thought he was an absolute mug and they just decided now right now he's gone they're going to start playing this new expansive football Pass through our forward press. You never know, Max. These things could happen and it sounds like we would have liked to play you last week, really. That is the beauty of football, I think. Um, we've got Swindon at home this weekend. They're down there with us and that is our biggest game of the season. I'm looking to see a big response there. And if it meant um, losing at Pompey but beating Swindon, I would 100% take that right now. So I think the game at the Memorial Stadium is um, is equally as big, but... I think a lot of the focus is going to be on this weekend. If we can beat Swindon, that will build a bit of momentum. And then maybe, you know, all the things I said uh, won't come true and, and Rovers will put up a bit more of a fight than I'm expecting us to. Well, mate, to be honest, good luck for the season because I actually like going down to Bristol um, for a night out or to go to the football. And those two can be reunited when this uh, when this <laughs> pandemic goes <laughs> So I'm kind of hoping that you guys stay up and uh, yeah, and do well this season. But cheers for coming on the podcast, Max. No, thanks very much for having me on. It's been uh, quite cathartic. <laughs> Get those thoughts out there, and uh, <laughs> sure. I, I, you know, I hope you guys stay up. But hopefully, we manage to get the win, and it's not some sort of mad manager change loss. <laughs> we'll see. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> cheers, mate. Cheers, Max. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Max. Bye. Bye. Thanks again, Max, for coming on the podcast, and. All you Pompey fans out there who are being gloomy, including me sometimes, let's be honest, we all have our gloomy days. At least we're not a Bristol, a Bristol Rovers fan because they are in a real problem at the moment, aren't they, Andy? They are, yeah. They've been plummeting down the table, as Max said, um, after we finished the recording with him. The only reason they're not in the relegation zone is because other teams around them have had similar drops off in form and there are some very poor, poor teams at the bottom of the league this year. But, I mean, yeah. I know that at times we you know we have rough times as as Pompey fans like every club does but I always sort of take a step back and go it could be worse I don't I'm not going to use the could be out of business cliche because that's old news but you know we could be Ipswich we could be Sunderland we could be Bristol Rovers at the moment I mean I don't actually mind them as a club but they're just yeah struggling aren't they Absolutely and then we need them to stay up 
as I said, in case we don't go up as well, I want to go out on a night out in Bristol with you and with the lads at Pompey News now. And you know, this is all this is all big th- big reasons for me. Um, but yeah, obviously no, they're a good they're a good proper club, and um, yeah, hope they stay up. Let's get the score prediction time going. Crew, what is your score prediction? Crew, uh, I think we have the the ability to to create a lot of chances against them. To be honest, I'm not entirely convinced by them at the back. I am going for 3-0 Pompey against Crew um and Bristol Rovers 3-1. I'm I mean optimism is staggering. But yeah, I'm going for 3-0 and 3-1 to the next two games. Cool. Nice one. You? And that's about all that no, I'm joking. Ooh, okay. Against Crew, I think we're going to get a 2-0 win and against Bristol Rovers, I think we're going to get a 3-1 win. No new manager bounce. Do you think Bristol Rovers will beat Swindon? Yes. After their game against... You do think they'll beat Swindon? Do you know what? No, I think it'll be a draw. I think it'll be a draw. A nervous bottom of the table, drawn out draw. I can see it. Both of them, none of them, both of them don't look like they're going to score well. Pittman apparently got the winner and they look rubbish, according to Max in the the last game. I think that it will be a one-all draw. Anyway, that was a pretty action-packed episode, Andy. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And until next time, play up Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.